Podcast for America is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses creates engaging courses presented by top professors and experts. One course I recently watched is The Great Courses series on turning points in American history. The Great Courses created a special limited time offer for listeners. That's you guys. Order from eight of their best-selling series, including Turning Points in American History, at up to 80% off the original price. Don't wait. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash America. That's thegreatcourses.com slash America. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello from the Slate Studios in New York City. Welcome to Podcast for America, a show about the preening self-celebration of human striving and shamelessness that is a presidential campaign cycle. I'm Alex Wagner, host of MSNBC's Now with Alex Wagner. In our Washington, D.C. studios is chief national correspondent for The New York Times Magazine, Mark Leibovich, and Annie Lowry, contributing editor at New York Magazine. Hi, guys. Are you ready to do some preening self-celebration? Um, I never stopped, to be honest with you. It's sort of a continuum of what I do all day. I'm feeling great. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Then let's so get guess. rolling. Mm-hmm. First up, Donald Trump continued to hold his position in the media spotlight this weekend, questioning the war hero status of Senator John McCain and also pointing out that veterans need more attention and support from their country. How does this rate on the Trumpometer of inflammation and indignation? Next, we'll look to the Democratic side, where Bernie Sanders spoke to ever-growing crowds. 11,000 turned out this time at the Netroots Nation Progressive Conference. Both he and former Governor Martin O'Malley were interrupted by demonstrators from Black Lives Matter. Are these tactics going to actually get the conversation about racial progress underway, or are they too much to ask of the nation's progressive party? And finally, speaking of progress, Our Lady of Privacy, Hillary Clinton, just opened her campaign headquarters to media tours and got on Snapchat. We will explore whether this represents a new, more chilled-out attitude or, you know, just more Hillary Clinton tactics. All of this and a friendly little segment we like to call If I Were in Charge. So let's get to it. On Saturday, Donald Trump received a standing ovation from the Family Leadership Council Summit when he called for more support for veterans and, with all the grace of a backhanded slap, called into question the war hero status of John McCain. Mark, I guess I want to start with you in terms of what what actually went down here, how damaging this is, and has the Donald finally gone too far? Well, um, it would seem to me, based on at least some of the reaction from the other candidates, um, that he, I don't know if he's jumped the shark, but, but certainly he has touched a third rail of politics, and probably more so Republican politics. But John McCain's war record is one of those beyond reproach um, things that you just don't criticize, as opposed to, say, all Mexicans, right. which Donald Trump um, managed to to offend out of the box by calling them rapists and other sundry things, to maybe some muted condemnation from the other candidates. But no, I mean, this was clearly, you know, in the context of a what is becoming a very, very loud feud between John McCain and Donald Trump. This was really something. And, and I think the big question is, and one of the reasons a lot of the other Republican um, candidates are, are actually condemning Donald Trump after really not doing so for the last few weeks, is this actually 
could probably cost him voters. Donald Trump has never been known for his grace. I don't think that's what put him at the top of the polls to begin with here. But it's a good place to be in when you are seen as the enemy of all other things political, all things media. And for better or for worse, or like it or not, uh, that's or calculate it or not, that's where Donald Trump is. Andy, I guess it's just if you let's assume for one moment, suspend reality and assume that Donald Trump really does want to kickstart a conversation about veterans issues. It seems like the person not to target is a decorated war hero who consistently talks about the sacrifices made by veterans and that we need to do more right by them, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to state the obvious, if you are... It's hard to critique the military. And if you're going to critique anybody, it's not John McCain. The guy was tortured for years, right? Like, I don't know how you could possibly argue that. I apologize. I'm laughing because I'm like, how could you argue that anything that he did was anything other than heroic, right? He was in a fucking box. He wasn't and given he didn't any. And leave when offered his freedom. Exactly. He wasn't given any medical attention for these horrific injuries. But it was really, really, really terrible. But I think that one thing that this has done is that it's highlighted the difference between if you saw the media reaction, it was all like, oh, you know, Donald Trump like shoots himself in the foot and now this is all over. And that was the the media reaction. But I don't think that's true. I think that he has a lot of supporters that don't actually care too much about it. And this is only one of many really awful things that he's said. And none of them have disqualified him in the sense of these like in these voters' eyes. But did you just call him Don Trump? I just, I, I want to make sure I heard that wrong. You, know, you so might have awesome. actually just sort of stammered on the Donald, but yeah, I, I actually think I heard I you say, say Don Trump. I think we should actually, as a podcast for America, I was trying experiment, to see if we can change the name to Don Trump. Uh, actually, let me ask you this, Alex, as someone the Donald. who-, who no, I apologize. As, no, no, you shouldn't apologize. Are you kidding? I celebrate <laughs> that, as I think we all should. Uh, Alex, as someone who is sitting in the hot seat, and, and obviously you're, you're, you're on TV every day, you, you get a lot more feedback in real time than we do. Um, do you have a sense that this this is something that, you know, certainly more liberal uh, observers of politics are just sort of enjoying as an enactment of the train wreck that you could see within the Republican Party. Or do you sense that this is actually a, a quote unquote game changer for for Donald Trump within? Right, the because Republican. I agree that that's like the relevant issue is like everybody in the media is like, oh, man, this means he's over. And but, but, and what do we know? I don't. Right? I don't but, actually but, think there's consensus on that. I, I mean, don't yeah. let, let's yeah. be clear. On Monday night at five o'clock, an ABC Washington Post poll came in showing that Donald Trump is the number one at number one mm. top spot, twenty four percent, followed by Scott Walker, Jeb Bush, Mike Huckabee, Marco Rubio, Rand Paul. Okay, it's so amazing. that is a pro- that that is that was taken from I believe Thursday through Sunday night. His comments were made on Saturday. There is absolutely to your point. Mark, a shameless uh, sense of opportunism that pervades the media. But it is not just MSNBC. The Wall Street Journal has a an op-ed, had an op-ed. Even the journal. Rupert Murdoch has been tweeting about how Donald Trump is embarrassing his country. Mm -hmm. And and it's opportunistic for two reasons. One is for mainstream media outlets, this is confirmation that there is a very powerful and and I think fairly Mm -hmm. widespread belief among members of the grand old party that immigrants are maybe bad for this country or unsavory characters, that Donald Trump gives voice to a real divisive 
sort of virulent strain of white grievance right. that is foundational to the grand old party. And then for, for conservative media, establishment conservative media, I think Donald Trump has actually in some ways provided a useful tool to try and excise some of those people from the party. Steve Schmidt was calling, who was, of course, John McCain's campaign manager, was calling for this, for Donald Trump to be taken seriously and to jumpstart a real conversation inside the Republican Party about where its heart and soul lies. And I think this is one of these funny things where, like, the media, despite everything, has been consistently underestimating him. Right. And ignoring him. I, I, I don't think like, so at all. I, yeah. We've been giving nonstop coverage non-stop. to Donald Trump. No, but I think the, the, the coverage has been like as, you know, as a member of a circus or something. Right. Like there are people who are actually interested in him. I think there's an incredulity, but I don't think that that should be confused with not taking him seriously. He's right. he's increased in strength. People continue to listen to his message. Yeah, and mean, Politico reports is... a poll of 70 percent of the Republican Party generally agrees with Trump's views on immigration, accepting the language that he used around Mexican immigrants. OK, a couple points. One. Um, well, first of all, this is a side point. But when Rupert Murdoch says he's an embarrassment to his country, does he mean Australia <laughs> or the United States? I'm just sort of curious about that. No, I, I think um, in a way, I mean, Donald Trump is just is the Frankenstein's monster of yeah. modern politics. I mean, the, the marriage of celebrity and money. And that's sort of what politics is about these days. And, and you can sort yeah. of cash it in through the currency of, of attention getting, which is obviously something he's very, very strong in. But I, I also think I'm kind of deconstructing the word crazies, which is what started this whole thing. This is what John McCain called the immigration hardliners that were cheering uh, Donald Trump out in Arizona last week. The crazies, the 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 black helicopter people, whatever you want to call them, um, as people are always using, sort of to connote some mental illness of the two fringes of the party. I guess you know the, the people have referred to the liberal, the nut roots, right, or the um, the tinfoil hat crowd. We should actually do a word thing here. So I'm actually writing something. <laughs> we, we can workshop this. But I, I think that this is sort of about. The disenfranchised. I mean, the crazies are an example of how people perceive a mainstream political personality, John McCain, thinks of them. And Donald Trump has positioned himself as the other, or he has been positioned as the other. And look out, because there are no centers in politics anymore. There is no Republican establishment that can get him under control. God knows. There probably, you know, I don't know if the Democratic establishment, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. There's well, no media establishment. There's no Walter Cronkite. Also, there's no, you know. well, I would say, Mark, to that end, Rupert Murdoch owns right. Fox News. And right. Fox News is pretty good at ginning up enthusiasm for Donald Trump. Right. Unless, you know, they, no, yes, I'm not. That's but true. I don't know that Rupert Murdoch can actually control yeah. those, like that that quorum of people. I mean, I wonder. I, I know. I'm sure Roger Ailes is a podcast for America listener. I would yeah. love to know. <laughs> Roger, Roger Ailes if you is. hear us, call us. Call us, Roger. But Annie, can I just say one last point on that? I yeah. mean, if you listen to our podcasts from the last couple weeks. I think our sort of general, the way in which we've been processing Trump's ascendance is generally the way the media and most American people have. Well, I'm talking about on the Democratic side as well as this, if there is a center left, which is like, it's hilarious. It's insane. Are you serious? Wow, this is happening. This guy's a contender. You know, I don't think anybody from the start took him seriously in the way that they do now. And I think that that's sort of natural. But I definitely think the posture is uh, Trump's for real. 
And Trump's going to do something to this field. And I think you can kind of accept him as an artifact of the fracturing of the Republican Party, right? But you can't dismiss him. Okay, Alex, I'm going to ask you this question. (laughs) Donald Trump, will he be the quote unquote front runner in the Republican Party two months from now? Forget forget the actual Iowa caucuses. Two months you know what? I, I, I have no idea who's going to be the front runner. Mm. I found myself saying on Sunday morning, as I discussed the, the, the phenomenon of the Republican Party with friends, you know, Rick Perry could come out of this stronger than we thought because huh. he's been the one to disavow Trump. He's, he, you know, people have completely dismissed him because he couldn't remember one of the cabinet mm-hmm. agencies he wanted to shut down, but he's off the back pain meds. He seems <laughs> to have had a, a revival of intellect or maybe it's just the Franz and glasses. And like, who knows is, is all I'm saying. I'm not actually going to make the, the go point by point as to why Rick Perry could see a bump in the polls. I just don't know. I think the debates are actually going to have more of an effect than the probably the RNC wants at this point. So when you were discussing this Sunday morning with friends, was it like a brunch setting? Was it a, <laughs> well, I wanna, actually a uh, brunch setting? I want to talk to you. So actually, first of all, was it Sunday afternoon? Did it bleed in from the morning? Was it a large group, small group? Was it just you and and um, the lovely Mr. Wagner, um, who has a different <laughs> name? But uh, not to get too... Pr- I'm just sort of curious. I want to set the scene here as a writer. There were bagels. There was a lot. Interesting. Uh, there Interesting. were blueberries and Ugh. coffee. There was there were wow. copies of the New York Times. It's everything you would mm-hmm. expect See, in a liberal tableau. But uh-huh. you know, I was I was in the Midwest. You were in the Midwest. I was oh, in the I, Midwest. Was gonna, I assumed this was Brooklyn. No, I was oh. in the Midwest, and Chicago? I have to tell you, there is regional fear, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody at that table was not concerned about Donald Trump. They were concerned about Scott Walker. Oh. And like I said, Rick Perry could come out on top. Scott Walker, I mean, is probably much likelier to come out on top. All yeah. I'm to answer your initial question, Mark, um, I have no idea who the front runner is going to be. I doubt it will be Trump just because no one can control him and he keeps getting himself into these insane situations with n- no sort of apparent broader strategy to get himself out. So... I, I tend to think that, that that's not going to last too much longer. Given we'll that see. you were in the Midwest, were the bagels lacking or were they up to your standards I as mean, a New Yorker? Do you even need to hear the answer? They were terrible. Okay, so what does everyone out there think about Donald Trump and who might be the front runner in two months? And also, tell us what you had for brunch. Tweet us in 140 characters or less at Pod for America. We're going to take a short break, but I promise we'll all be waiting for you at the end of it. Podcast for America is sponsored by The Great Courses. Like so many of you, I love to learn for the pleasure of it. That's why I am a fan of The Great Courses. I recently watched The Great Courses series on turning points in American history. It's a great fit for those of you listening to this podcast. You can listen to it in the car. You can listen to it on the way to work. The Great Courses Turning Points in American History offers insights into the events that shaped this country. From President Roosevelt's The New Deal to the Watergate crisis and more. The Great Courses is celebrating its 25th anniversary, and it has more than 500 courses on topics like history, science, photography, and more. Watch or listen with online downloads or streaming via The Great Courses apps or on DVDs or CDs. The Great Courses created a special limited-time offer for Podcast for America listeners. Order from eight of their best-selling series, including Turning Points in American History, at up to 80% off the original price. But hurry, this 80% savings is only available for a limited time. Don't wait. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash America. 
That's thegreatcourses.com slash America. We're back and we're going to turn our attention to the race for the Democratic presidential ticket. At the Netroots Nation Progressive Conference this weekend in Phoenix, Bernie Sanders stood in front of his biggest crowds yet and tucked in amongst those crowds were demonstrators from the Black Lives Matter movement who interrupted Sanders' speech and also went back and forth with former Governor Martin O'Malley. Mark, this was a fairly remarkable scene given that it doesn't feel like at least progressive candidates, Democratic candidates, don't often get heckled by folks on their side of the aisle. If you're a protester, you can find something to protest about anyone, whether they merit it or not, whether you're on their side or not. Um, I think the takeaway here from the weekend is that it is not just the right that has its own splintering and that has its own, um, you know, Donald Trump, I guess, is the embodiment of, of the wrecking ball, to use Lindsey Graham's term, in the middle of all this. But no, I mean, th- there is some real energy on the left that has no problem at all disrupting, you know, quote unquote, organized events. And to this point, a lot of it had coalesced around Bernie Sanders. He had see, been seen as kind of the acceptable alternative to Hillary Clinton. But in this particular setting, he got it too. And, and it sounds like the whole scene, and I wasn't there, but just from watching the coverage of it, looked like it was a bit of a fiasco. But obviously, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement you know, made their point. And, and I don't think Martin O'Malley, certainly, and probably Bernie Sanders won't be unprepared to deal with questions about that you know, in the future. Annie, the Black Lives Matter protesters seem to be focusing their message on Sanders, which I thought was really interesting because he is the avowed socialist. He, as he pointed out, fought in the civil rights movement. Um, the the choice to focus those energies on him, I think, caught a lot of us sort of out like, OK, why is that happening? I guess Bernie Sanders needs to talk. About, he needs to articulate his position better. But it was Martin O'Malley who made. I think, the the bigger gaffe when he said, black lives matter, all lives matter, white lives matter. And I guess I wonder when you heard that, what your thinking was. He got booed when he said that. I don't actually think that the answer, all lives matter, is necessarily substantively a bad one. But it's one that doesn't necessarily speak to the concerns of the people that are bringing this issue up. These people are obviously a group of folks who are becoming more important on the left and who will need to be answered uh, by anybody who is opposed, like, you know, hoping to appeal to the Democratic Party. And, you know, we said this, right? Like, I've said this on this podcast. I think that the notion of a kind of Tea Party of the left is probably fairly overplayed. But nevertheless, there are these kind of concerns of the left that people are going to need to answer. And this is one of them. Um, And it's a substantive concern. And it's one that's not going to be kind of waved away with some sort of like post-racial hand-waving. The whole point is for folks to recognize that maybe in this kind of like, despite the fact that there's a black president, despite the fact that like there's been all of these gains that have been made, uh, that there's more progress to be made. And I think that that's like an actual litmus test for a lot of people. You know, the issue just to s- spell it out in terms of why white lives matter is not the correct response is because that under undermines the sort of severity and the brutality of violence that has been perpetrated on the black body since, you know, right. for the last 200 years. And yeah, I mean, nobody disagrees that white life matters, right? Like, right. I mean, and, and, and like it's, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates has this book out about sort of the way we think of uh, the way we have treated and think of black people 
in this country and specifically the sort of like black perspective on survival in America. Right. And um, and so I think when O'Malley said all lives matter, white lives matter, it was like you're kind of completely missing the point here. Right. Because um, it's directly a conversation about the way in which we have not reckoned. Right with our racial past, well, right? Well, especially though, it, it's tone deaf in that it's actually, I mean, but besides Ta-Nehisi's book, I mean, it, it's been about a couple of pretty resonant years on this issue. I yeah. mean, even like, I mean, Obama going to a, to a prison last week, yep. saying dare but for the grace of God. I mean, that's an incredibly powerful moment to say nothing of his Charleston speech, to say nothing of the Charleston shootings to begin with. I mean, the it's eulogy a, that he the gave eulogy for he gave, Absolutely. I mean, it was, I mean, it's a, been an incredibly, it, it does, I don't know, I hate the term game changer, but it, it does feel right. like something has moved. This is a debate that should be playing out within the Democratic Party in the presidential space in the same way that I guess immigration should be and is in the Republican space. And what's really too bad about this net roots thing is that Hillary Clinton didn't show up and she gave what looked like a pretty antiseptic, you know, scripted, calculated answer on right. her Facebook page today. And that's too bad because I think if Hillary Clinton had been there, I think she would have she would have got she would have been absolutely the target of, of the protesters and so forth. To speak about something that since none of us are black, but we all are in the media, I think that one of the reasons I mean it's actually fairly remarkable that the conversation around criminal justice and police brutality and poverty and, you know, racial inequity in this country is is taken this fucking long to happen. And it's not just because of political leadership. It's also because the media is overwhelmingly white. I mean, it really is. When you talk about the black experience in America, like one of the reasons we're even talking about it is because of the movement Black Lives Matter. Um, And the media would not willingly sort of like take up this baton were it not for external events that have forced us to cover that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But also the external events have been dictated by technology. I mean, the events of the last few years have been sort of YouTube moments that you can actually see, which have been going on for years that just didn't have technology attached to it. I just think it's... It's it's fairly, you know, to be very cynical, and you'll appreciate this, Mark. The reason candidates are talking about immigration is because they want to win Latino votes. Right. The reason candidates are going to be talking about whether, you know, how much Black Lives Matter is because the media is finally giving it the attention that it deserves. Okay. What are we in the media not talking about that we should be talking about? Tweet us your thoughts at Pod for America. Our Lady of Privacy. Hillary Clinton decided to get cool with Snapchat this week, sending six seconds of a video of a beer in a chillery Clinton koozie mm-hmm. hot off the streets of the campaign trail. And thank you, Mark Leibovich. Clinton also opened her campaign HQ to media tours. Mark, which of these two things is more cynical? Um or crazy. Think about that. I, I would say the latter, just because it's so tone deaf. I mean, Ta- not wait, tone you deaf. have personal experience with this. I do. For those who miss your tour de force cover story. The Hillary Clinton campaign is now, uh, you know, apparently in a period of glasnost because they have been running guided tours of their headquarters based on an account, I guess, that that I wrote about how close they were and how they wanted to keep an entire headquarters off the record. Um, look, good, good for Hillary. I mean, I think it actually not since um, Barack Obama invited Melody Barnes. Um, on a golf outing on a Sunday, the Sunday, the New York Times had a story saying that Barack Obama has never taken a woman golfing with him. Has such naked opportunism been um, 
sort of revealed in a political context. But no, hey, um, Glasnost, everyone should enjoy it. I, I think it's Prague. I think it's Prague. Prague. It's Prague, right? Okay, Mark, it's a really good piece. Let's just and read it aloud. It is a really good piece on a hard subject. When was the first time that you interviewed her? It was a while ago. It was like she was a senator from New York. It was like 2003, 2004. Mark so wasn't born then. I was barely born. You guys weren't born <laughs> so then. So it's been, it's been a, decade, a decade. Yeah, Hillary, my friend Hillary and I go way, 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 way right. back. Yeah, but no. this piece, it's, it is, and I really mean it, despite the fact that Mark is a friend of mine and we are podcast co-hosts. It's really good. And it's about the fact that she is a ridiculous person, fundamentally. She is a person who lives in a ridiculous world in which she can only make ridiculous decisions because the decisions afforded her are ridiculous. I didn't actually say that. No, this is my this is entirely are, what I am impressing there, one on. One can it. take what one can from one. This piece is vastly better and piece. more nuanced no, than what I am saying. What is miraculous about the piece <laughs> is Mark makes a story out of someone who gives him almost nothing. Who yes. gave me a moose. She gave uh, me a yes. moose. Yes, she gave you nothing. an offhanded comment about you seeing a moose Thank drive by. She responded to your anecdote. That you saw an animal. Yeah. And was... and I think, I mean, I actually want to talk about the Chillery Clinton koozie for a moment. Yes, yeah. let's which talk is the about other, that. The other piece of this. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm trying, I, I grapple with this as someone that is processing daily Hillary stories. And mm-hmm. the problem I have with this is I have a problem with Hillary Clinton trying to be cool because it seems so hollow. And then that leads me back to, well, plenty of politicians try and be cool. I mean, Rand Paul was send, selling Ray-Bans before Ray-Ban <laughs> told him to stop selling them. And I don't know. I know Marco Rubio had some sort of like Wu-Tang Clan-ish T-shirt or whatever. And yeah. I don't begrudge them it as much. And I, try and I tried to figure out why is it that the Chillery Clinton koozies seem so reprehensible, and it's because it seems so forced. Yes. It is because Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. like, actually, Marco Rubio probably does listen to the Wu-Tang Clan, and, I, and of course, he listens to Tupac, even though he doesn't understand their message. And Rand Paul probably does wear sunglasses from time to time. But there's no way in hell that Hillary Clinton has ever chilled out with a beer koozie. As right, far it, as I know, and as far as the campaign has volunteered. We know she likes cocktails, but you know what I mean, Mark? Like Especially cocktails. you've interviewed this woman. Your story would have been a perfect time to I reveal. Know, man. It because was... it, it could have been Barack. Barack is chill. He is, he chill. is chill. Well, here's the he thing. He could have had like he... an actual koozie. Well, he also has set a very high standard of cool for for and that's yeah in that the other piece yeah. But I, I remember actually in a way. Do we know what's her what's her tipple of choice? She likes cocktails. She likes wine a lot. She likes red wine. Um, she likes she drank a lot of Maker's Mark. And oh wait, I remember I got in trouble because I wrote about this. Um, that also seems calculated. God fucking mm, bless her. Keep on going. Yeah, she, she likes wants, to drink. She, she wants Maker Maker's Mark with what? No, nah, I don't remember. Neat. Out of the bottle. <laughs> I, I think I remember having this conversation with one of her aides in, in 08, and everyone was like, the media was all like uh, excited because, you know, oh, Obama listens to Jay Z and he works out and he plays basketball and isn't that cool? Right. Um, and I remember this guy, who, who I won't name him, but he said, to me, you know, look, she's a 60-something-year-old woman. You know, she she works all the time. She tries to, like, work out when she can. I mean, she, you know, I guess she liked the Beatles, but, like, she's just not that cool. And, like, 
that then was stop fine. Trying to be. Stop trying to be. I mean, I get it that I, I mean, although the Twitter thing kind of worked for her when she was Secretary of State, right? I mean, that was like Twitter a cool, is different. Twitter I, is I think different. that a beer, a chillery, chillery Clinton koozie. Hillary Clinton is not a chill chick. But do you not fine. do you not True. feel that all of these things are playing on the fact that she is like the least? She's a, a profoundly competent person, but the least cool person. You think in that America. this is a post-ironic? Merch. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. Uh, I like that. That makes it better. <laughs> you know, her campaign is probably smart to try to impose some cool, if not on the candidate herself, on the effort, on the environment that right. they're trying to convey. It is also not about her. It's really actually about the people she's trying to reach, who are people who maybe once, uh, 10 years ago, would have worn a trucker hat. And now, you know, it's it's about catering to an audience that I think she But I think you're completely do. correct that the way that she is going to win these votes is not by saying, I'm a hip young feminist, right? It is by saying, I'm a fucking OG feminist who yeah. was there OG at the beginning. Fem- wasn't OG feminist? She's original gangster. Oh, original gangster. Original gangster oh, in rap speak, but I think yep. originally it's old guard or maybe but, I'm just But I think it's, it's by embracing that and saying like, look, yeah, like I'm a woman who has been through the shit. And hmm. all of you young people can learn something from me. Like she should just have a giant like laser saber and that can be promotional. <laughs> I don't even know what I mean by that. Okay, no, we are I nearly think that's good. Go with it. We, with we it. are nearly out of time for this week's podcast. If you like us, please tweet about how much you like us and why in 140 characters or less at Pod for America. Or leave us a friendly little review in iTunes. To wrap it up, it is time for our weekly peacemaking segment that we like to call If I Were in Charge. Annie, why don't you kick it off? What would you do if you were in charge? So one of my favorite things to know about candidates is actually what they eat and what they drink. I want real food diaries. I want to know what they're drinking when they're ordering. I want to know what they're eating for breakfast. I want to know this bullshit about how they go to Iowa and eat the waffle or whatever. I want I want, I want, want real food diaries. That's what I want if I, I were in charge. Those. I love those. All New York back. Magazine does a good job yep. of them. Yeah. If I were in charge, and this is jumping off of our discussion about who's cool and who's not, I would place a moratorium on the hashtag oh, because yeah. you know what everyone it is not cool they are not cool people in public life should not use them they're over let's be done with them mm-hmm. that's my official pronouncement of what i would do if i were in charge well i guess then in keeping with the theme of of, of twitter uh, i would say that everyone should be granted one extension of a 60-character extension of a tweet a week. For instance, hmm. I was trying to tweet something this morning in 140 characters, and I need a little extra space. And if I had one a week to use, sort of like a wild card, like you get like an extension, kind of like a hair extension, which, of course, I know nothing about because <laughs> uh, I don't have hair. The um, I would just get take one little lifeline in Twitter a week, and you can work it out between you and your Twitter administrator, which is some bot somewhere. And I think that would be a nice little innovation and, frankly, a gift for people who spend and waste too much time on Twitter. Um, As a sidelight, I think everyone should tell a friend about our podcast because we want people to listen to us. It's pretty good. Oh, so good. Was that good? That's why you're Mark Leibovich. Mm -hmm. That's all for Podcast for America. Thanks to our producer, Jocelyn Frank, and as always, Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please do let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Pod for America. Our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. And Mark actually runs all the responses on that. So definitely write in. 
If you like us, please be sure to tell a friend or two and subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget, please leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover our show. For Annie Lowry and Mark Leibovich in D.C., I'm Alex Wagner here in New York. We'll talk to you next time, and thanks for listening.